good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we come before you at this time, and we thank you so much. We thank you for the ways that you call us into community, not just here in this city, but around the world. We thank you for Rambi and his wife and just the chance we have to be with them this morning, the, the symbol they are to us of your global family, your global kingdom. God, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would speak to us directly, each one of us, helping us to hear what it is that you need us to hear. We thank you for your son, more than we can say, for who he is to us and for who he calls us and empowers us to be. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Growing up, uh, my dad was a preacher, and when I was at church, I found that almost no adult would ever call me by my name. I was Lewis Robinson's son. And as much as I loved my dad, and as much as I looked up to him, I didn't exactly always love the fact that I didn't feel like I had my own name, that I was my own person. And like most kids growing up, at some point I decided I need to break out of that mold, I need to be my own person, I need to make my own name. And I usually decided to try to do that on youth trips because my father never, ever went on youth trips. And I thought, you know, here's my chance to to fit in, to to seem like a normal teenage guy that, that likes all the same stuff that other guys like. I'm not just a preacher's son. And so I will never forget a particular year going to Sierra Bible Camp, and I decided I was going to pull a series of pranks so that I could seem like I was my own person. Now, I'll admit up front, none of this was my best or most original work, but first night of camp, I sneak into all the bathrooms, and I, I had these chicken ramen flavor packets, and I unscrewed all the shower heads, and I emptied those in the shower head and put them back in. I had a black marker. I went into all the toilet stalls and un, unrolled the toilet paper and drew a spider and did that a few layers deep, and then rolled it back in. And then I took silver duct tape, and I I put it underneath each faucet with just enough space that it would spray the person who was trying to turn the water on. And then I went back into the cabin and waited. And so the next morning, these people are running around. You could tell the first set of kids who tried to take a shower, they all had this dark brown mark all over their arm, and they smelled like soup. And they couldn't figure out how to get that smell out. There were people screaming randomly when they went into the toilet stalls because they thought spiders were jumping out on them. And tons of kids had to change their clothes after trying to wash their face or brush their teeth. And they were looking for whoever was responsible for this. So the camp director gets up and makes an announcement and says, if anybody knows who's responsible for these pranks, you get free candy and Cokes at the canteen all week. And I knew I was okay then because it meant they didn't know. And, and nobody would ever guess that Lewis Robinson's son would be responsible for this. So then I went on to my next prank, and I got the youngest boys together, and I told them there was this ex-Marine in the woods who was crazy, and he had a laser-sided rifle. Now, this was before everyone owned a laser pen. And so I waited for the campfire devotional that night. We were singing Blue Skies and Rainbows, and everybody was feeling it, and I, I took the pen out, and I... I put a bright red dot on Tommy Thompson's front, his forehead. And all the third and fourth grade boys started screaming and going for cover. 
And I thought I got away with it. And that's when I felt a hand clamp my shoulder. And I looked up and it was the camp director. So 10 minutes later, I'm in the office there with the camp director and he is letting me have it. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Telling me I'm, I'm, you know, an embarrassment and I need to be a better person. And then he finally takes, you know, takes out the big guns and says, you know how your father's going to feel when I have to call him and tell him what you've done, what you've done to his name. Right? And, and it really bothered me. But I knew he was right. Right? I knew that, that as long as I was with church people, especially, I, I didn't just have my own name. No matter what I did, no matter where I went, I was also taking my father's name. Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're just going to be looking quickly at verse 7. The the people of God have gathered around the mountain of God to listen to the words of God. And he's already given them the first two commandments. And then he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now when I was growing up, I felt like I knew exactly what the third commandment meant. Back then, it sounded a little bit differently than you shall not misuse the name of your Lord, uh, the Lord your God. When I was a kid, it was just you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And when my Sunday school teacher was trying to help us memorize you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, and she tried to to explain what what that meant, she said, you know, if, if you find yourself in a moment where you're shocked or you're surprised, you don't say, oh my God. You say, oh my goodness, oh my gosh, something. But don't say, oh my God, unless you're starting a prayer. God's name is to be respected and honored, and when you speak it, it needs to be on purpose. So that's what it means. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Then as I got a little bit older, uh, my mother helped me understand there was another way that you could take the Lord's name in vain, and that would be to, to swear by the Lord's name, to make a promise, and then break it. So, you know, Jared, if you were in a situation and and you were in court and you had to say, I promise to tell the the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me, God, you better keep that promise no matter what. Because you have have invoked God's name and you've made a promise by that name, and there's no situation where it would be okay for you to break that promise. And she said, by the way, don't ever swear on my grave or don't don't swear on anything. If if you're going to make a promise... That you, that you intend to keep, you need to swear by your own name or your own life or something else. Don't drag God into that unless you're in court or you're about to get married. Right? Those are the only two situations you would, would want to say something that way that was that binding. I thought, okay, I got it. So to keep the third commandment, I don't say God's name in a moment of surprise unless I'm praying. And I don't make a promise and drag God's name into it, especially... Because as, as much as I want to keep all of my promises, there have been times in my life where I have failed to keep a promise. I have failed to keep my word. And so I need to be careful not to use God's name in those situations. And then I'd say, okay, that's the third commandment, and now I'm going to move on to the fourth. But as I've, as I've gotten older, and as I've lived a little more, and as I've read a little more and thought a little more about What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? I think it's bigger than that. I think it includes what we say 
to God. I think it obviously includes how we talk about God, especially in moments where we're making pledges or promises. But I, th- I think it's more than that. Because if that's what we reduce keeping the third commandment to, it's a pretty easy commandment to keep. Just say, oh my goodness, and let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I, I think as important as those things are, God is trying to get something across to us that's, that's deeper than that. We don't just take somebody's name when we speak it. We take somebody's name, we use somebody's name in all kinds of different situations. Think about it. You take and use somebody's name if you think it's going to open some doors for you. Don't you? Don't you let somebody's name slip if you think it's going to get you access to something or, or, or an opportunity that you wouldn't have? Other? Don't you sometimes mention that you might know Mike Ricker if you get... So it's not just good opportunities. It could be that you're trying to use somebody's name to get out of a bad situation. I've never done that, by the way. I, I haven't had to do that yet. Uh, you know, when a wealthy person gives a lot of money to either start a foundation or to help build a building, isn't their name always somehow attached to that institution or the building? Uh, the, most of the, the women in our culture, it's a meaningful gesture that when people get married... A wife will take the name of her husband's family, right? To make it clear, this is who I am from this moment forward. There are all kinds of different ways for us to take someone's name, to use it, to borrow it, to bear it. And that means that there are just as many ways to take someone's name in vain, to misuse it, to drag it through the mud, to hurt somebody's reputation, to create negative feelings in other people every time they hear that name spoken. We don't just take the Lord's name when we say words to God or about God. We take the Lord's name when we decide to be a committed follower of God. We don't just use the Lord's name when we open our mouths to say a prayer or to preach or to teach or to talk. We use the Lord's name. We bear it. We wear it. Every time we let someone call us by that name. Every time we let somebody else call us, see us as a Christian, we are taking the Lord's name. Uh, In Matthew chapter 5, you can open there quickly. Matthew 5, starting in verse 14. Jesus is speaking here and he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Everything we do as people of faith, we do in God's name. We can't avoid taking it or using it because it's the name we choose to carry forever from the moment of our baptism. Of course it includes the words we speak. Of course it touches on the promises that we make. But it is so much more than that. It is who we claim to be. We are God's children. And like children, as children, we bear our Father's name. And our actions, and at times our failures to act, they reflect directly on our Father. How His name is received in the world. How people feel when they hear His name spoken. Our behavior 
brothers and sisters, our behavior directly impacts the way a non-believer sees God. And we have got to take that seriously. We've got to be aware of, of what's at stake when we are moving through this world. Jesus says in Matthew 5 that because we bear God's name, we should try our very hardest, partnering with the Holy Spirit, to live lives where we treat other people in ways where they naturally want to praise God. They, they want to praise our Father. They want to praise the one who is responsible for creating us and placing us in their life. We should be treating other people, especially non-believers, we should be treating them in a way where they, their natural response, their unforced words to us are, thank God for you. Thank God for, for who you are to me. Thank God for how you treat me. Thank God for how you speak to me. Thank God for, for all the ways that you help me. Thank God for you. And brothers and sisters, if people in your life who are just encountering you or just getting to know you or, or those who know you well, if they don't naturally speak like that about you, if they don't speak that way about me, we better start wrestling with what's going on. What are we doing to God's name? How are we taking it with us? How are we using it? Thank God for you. Thank God for who you are to me. Thank God for what you've done for me. Thank God. You know, what makes this difficult is it's not just that, that the world, that unbelievers would give us credit for doing good things and then thank our Heavenly Father for the, for the good things we do. The world is always watching for the things we do that nobody would consider good. And then they make generalizations from what people who call themselves Christians, what they've done, the mistakes they make, and they say all Christians are like that and Christ is like that. And I know we don't feel like that's fair, but it's how the world sees us. It's how the world works when it comes to groups of people who all go by the same name. And so every time a story breaks of a minister who's cheating on their spouses or, or stealing from their churches, every time there's a, a public funeral and a bunch of, of church people show up and they have signs with hateful words painted on the signs, every time someone who goes by the name of Christ meanders onto social media and is ugly or judgmental or condemning, people say that, that's how all Christians are. That's how Christ is. And it actually leads people in our world not to praise God's name because of what we're doing, but to curse it. That's what it means, I believe, in its fullness, to take the Lord's name in vain. And when you read scripture, God cares very much about his reputation. And he cares very much about how his people impact his reputation. Because he knows if his people can't be good and caring and kind and patient, then why would any other group of people trust that our God is a good and patient and loving and compassionate God? If we're always talking about him in those ways, but we're not living in those ways, people see through that. And they don't trust it. That is a lot more difficult, I think. It is a lot deeper. It is a lot more expansive than saying, oh my goodness, 
And when you make promises, you don't drag God's name into it. I, I get that. I think that's a starting place. But if that's what we limit this third commandment to, we have made it far too easy for us to convince ourselves we're living it out already. And every time we open scripture, we need to be wrestling with, in what ways is this scripture calling me deeper? In what ways is this commandment questioning my current way of life? How is the God who loves me enough to challenge me to grow better, how is that God challenging me here? Everything we do, good or bad, as God's people, everything we do, we do in God's name. And I just want us to be honest, what are we doing to God's name? When I first graduated with my master's from ACU and Lauren and I were getting ready to to work with our first church, I got a job in the San Francisco Bay Area in a little town called Antioch. Uh, we moved there, and about the same time we moved there, uh, they, they had hired another uh, minister. His name was Rick. His wife's name was Virginia. Rick was going to be designing and leading our worship. And so we got there basically in the same couple of weeks. And so, you know, when you first move to a place, there's all kinds of things you got to do. You got to get all your bills changed over, and you, you meet a bunch of new people, and, and you, you, you find some some uh, relationships forming, and, and then you ask them, well, who, who's the best person to go to for this and that, and, and who should I call? And, and so Rick was, was looking for some new insurance policies, and he found out that one of the best agents that people knew about was at State Farm, and so he calls State Farm up, and, and he talks to a woman named Carol, and she invites him to come in. And so Rick meets her and at her office and is visiting with her and talking with her. And she asks him about himself a little bit. And he says, I'm, I'm new to town, just moved here for a job. Where do you work? I work at, at the East Side Church of Christ. And, oh, that's interesting. So they keep talking for a while. And eventually Rick decides, yeah, he's going to buy a policy from Carol. And so he's staying there a little bit longer, filling out all the paperwork. And he gets to the end of, of, of everything that he needs to do. And he starts to get up to leave. And she says... I need to tell you something. I, uh, I grew up going to church as a little girl. And I, I don't know. I, but, but, but somewhere along the line, I just decided that that wasn't as important to me as, as it had been. And I, and I still believe in God, but I, I haven't walked through the door of a church in a long time. And I really feel alone in my faith. And I really feel like I never really committed the way I wanted to. And so I made a promise that earlier when you told me that you were a minister, I made a promise to myself that if you were good to me, if you were patient and kind, that I would go to your church. I've never even heard of a church of Christ. But tell me what time it starts and I'll be there. So Carol starts coming to church. Week after week, and about six months in, we start studying together and she gets to the point where she wants to make a commitment. She wants to make a promise. She wants to get baptized. She's never been baptized. And so we're getting to do that on a Sunday morning. And I'm standing there in the baptistry with Carol. And I start to tell the church a little bit about her and, and about how she first walked through the door of our church. And while I'm telling that story about my coworker, Rick, I look and he's got tears in his eyes. And I know why he's feeling as emotional as he is because he's, he's talked to me more than once about it in, in the past six months as Carol's been coming to church. And he just said to me, Jared, you, 
I'm just so glad that when I walked through the door of her office, I didn't, I didn't know the promise she'd made with herself because I think I would have messed it up. I would have been so nervous. I didn't know that when I walked through the door of her office that how I treated her was going to directly impact whether or not she was going to come through the door of our church. I'm actually glad I didn't know that's what was at stake. And as, as is my custom of being comforting to someone while they're deeply reflecting, I said, that's always what's at stake. <laughs> and then I didn't feel so good. I, I, that's always what's at stake, right? Every time a person who bears the name of Christ walks into a room, walks into somebody else's life, walks in especially into the life of a, of a non-believer, every single time that happens, what's at stake is, are we making them more or less likely to want to reach out for God, to open their hearts up to God, to maybe for the first time in a long time decide to come through the doors of a church. That's what's at stake. It's what's at stake when you're at a restaurant and, and you have a decision of how to treat a waitress or, or a waiter. That, that's what's at stake when you, you, you move into a new town and you're meeting a bunch of people or, or any situation where you're meeting new people and they don't know you yet. And, and you've got a chance to decide in that moment, how am I going to take God's name? How am I going to, to represent, to bear God's name to these people? I, I, I'm not trying to make us uptight or stressed out or, or overly worried about it. I'm, I'm wanting us to wrestle with, with the idea that there isn't a place that you go where other people are present, where you get to make the decision you're not taking God's name with you. And we've got to be intentional about that. We've got to be purposeful about that. We, we've got to know that's the opportunity. And, and one of the things I guess we have to do is admit that if we're not always aware of that, then, then today's the day you need to start. And, and maybe it's, it's that you have certain times in this upcoming week where you realize you're about to walk in a room and you get a chance to bear God's name, to take God's name with you, to, to use God's name, to not misuse it. Maybe it's a meeting, maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's someone that, that you haven't seen in a long time. I don't know what it is, but, but find more and more of those spaces and places in your life, in your weeks, where you practice this. And I promise you, it's going to be like a muscle. It's going to be something where when you practice it, when you, when you work, you'll get stronger. You'll get better at it. You'll, You'll get to the place where it's not exhausting, where it's not overwhelming for you to know that it's not just that you live in God's presence, but you take God's name with you, no matter where you're present. That everything we do, brothers and sisters, we do in God's name as God's people. Everything we do, everywhere we go, we take God's name. May we never take it in vain. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, we're going to have a few shepherds and their wives with them just outside of these double doors. They want to pray with you. They want to talk with you. If you want to know more about baptism, if you want to know more about our church, they're there to be Christian community, to visit with you and answer any questions you have. So please go to them as together we stand and sing.